little boys running around and they were playing. And while they were running around and having a good time, they, they would carry their little siblings on their back. And I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about six and seven-year-olds carrying three and four-year-olds on their back. He noticed this phenomenon. He saw it a couple of times. And, and he was walking by a park one day. And here came this little kid up to him to talk to him because he, he noticed he was American. So he came up and he was talking with him. And, 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 the, and he was the first little boy that had spoken English. So he, he asked him, he said, he said, isn't that a tremendous burden Carrying that weight on your back. And little Chinese boy very quickly said, he's not a burden. That's my brother. He said, he said that's awful sweet of you to say, and I'm sure, you're, sure your parents told you to, to say that. But doesn't he get heavy? He said, no. He said, that's my baby brother. And I want him to experience all the good things that I get to experience in this life. That missionary heard the words from this little Chinese boy. It completely revolutionized the way he began to think about what it means to be a mature believer in Christ. As a believer in Jesus, it is our responsibility to disciple those who are behind us. This morning, we're not going to make any, I'm not going to paint discipleship like it's this easy, painless thing. Discipleship's hard. That's why no church is doing it well. Discipleship is messy, it's hard, it's difficult, it's time-consuming. But it's worth it if we want our little brothers and sisters in Christ to experience the fullness of God's mercy in their life. Today, turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The, the Apostle Paul has, has been telling us and teaching us about God's grace over the last five chapters, and we've learned so much. We, we learned that salvation only comes by grace it, it, through faith. It, it's not something that we can work for. It's not something that we can somehow conjure up. What we said was we're not cute enough, we're not smart enough, that we're not capable. Only by grace are we saved. Amen? Then we, we started talking. So we went from a theological to a, a doctrinal, and now we're going to step into what practically living out grace looks like. What practically living out grace every day of, of that God blesses us, because we're not promised forever. We've, we've, had a, we've actually had quite a, a tough couple of weeks here at our church. We've had some folks who have departed from us, and they are now in the very presence of Jesus. And while those are sweet home goings, they're painful. We've had folks who have had some serious surgeries. In fact, Phil and Donna are sitting right here. Phil had some very serious surgeries here. Miss Jan is over here. She had very serious heart surgery this week. We, we have people who are walking through difficult things, and, and we've had people who've lost loved ones. And, and so what the Apostle Paul is going to get after us today about is how much do we really care about that little brother and sister who are behind us? How much do we really care about, about those people who are behind us, who, who are not where we're at in our faith, who are, who are not at our level? How much do we, do we really care? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatians in chapter 6, and he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbors. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. Father, we pray in the, in the power of Jesus this morning, the good news of Jesus, that the very same Jesus we declared through our worship as, as we said, you alone are worthy of our worship, you alone are worthy of our praise. Father, we, we are asking you to send your spirit to this place today for the purpose of growing us in godliness, for the purpose of restoring us to the things of righteousness. God, we're, we're asking you to do a God-sized work in this room for your glory and your glory alone. God, we're asking for those who are entangled in sin this morning to be set free by salvation. We're asking those believers who have fallen to be restored by your grace. We're asking for the mature in Christ to realize they have an opportunity to grow people in discipleship and in the ways of God. God, we're asking for a God-sized movement today. We're trusting only in you. You alone are worthy. You alone are able. Father, I, I thank you that I can save no one. You alone are the power of salvation. You alone are the agent of salvation. And so when we trust in you, you redeem us. And so, Father, we, we, we are just trusting you to do your will and your way today. God, we need you to show up and show out. It's in the name of Christ that we ask. Amen. Amen, amen. So if we're going to care for one another, what we must first begin to think about is, is by the grace of God, we, we bear one another's burdens. This is completely countercultural to everything you see and hear in our world. We don't, we don't teach this. Like Charlie Brown's not on TV anymore. What you see on TV is mind your own business. It's all about you. It's all about just do you and everybody else will figure their stuff out and, and don't worry about all the, the minute deeds. Just, just live your life, be happy, be healthy, and, you, and you'll get to where you want to be. That's not biblical. Do you know, I find it just odd. I find it odd that the church is one of the very few places where we attack our wounded. We attack the afflicted. You don't have to be in church very long, and I get this all the time. Church ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Now you're right. <laughs> Here, present, because I claim a holy, perfect God, and yet my life isn't holy and perfect. I claim to be searching after righteousness with my every effort, and yet I'm at times unrighteous. Sometimes church people don't act in godly ways. Maybe you've been the recipient of that. 
maybe you've been the giver of that. What the Apostle Paul is trying to, trying to impress on us is that as believers, we must bear one another's burdens. You know, there was a TV show in the 80s. I know our teenagers like, 80s? When was that? That was a long time ago. Long time ago. They wore big pants. Well, that's coming back. I saw somebody the other day with bell-bottom pants, and I thought, it's true. <laughs> it's true. They're coming back. There was a TV show um, that had a really catchy intro to it. And that really catchy intro was like, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows you're, you know? It was, what, cheers, right? Yeah. He's, like, He's preaching about a bar. You know what I found fascinating about Cheers? What I found fascinating about Cheers is, is that the idea was that you could come into this bar just as you are, and you would be welcomed. And there were like people were sitting around, they had real problems, they had real issues, but they were accepting of that. I got to thinking the last time I was sick at home watching reruns, I thought, my, if the church could catch that. Where we realized that everybody in the room's a mess. Like, we, we all put it on, and we get them ties on. This shirt wouldn't fit a tie, so it doesn't have one. Um, we, but we all dress it up like we like it, and we, we, we shower, and we, we shave, and we do all that kind of stuff, and we get our Sunday dress on. We get the kids all dressed, and, and Lord have mercy, getting them shoes on them. We get them out the door, and we get here, and we, we act like we've got it together. But we're a mess. Anybody a mess today? My goodness. My goodness. And yet we come here and we were like, we've got it all together. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're fighting sin every day, just like I am. You're struggling in the muck and in the mire of this world. You're fighting the temptation to be like the world. You're fighting your flesh. Your flesh is telling you, get the very best you can have. Get the most money. Have the nicest stuff. And yet the Spirit of the Lord is saying, remain humble. Remain grounded. Trust in the Lord, and he will fulfill all the desires of your heart. We have to bear one another's burdens. We have to be willing to walk with people. We must restore those who have fallen. We must restore those who have fallen. This is dirty. This is dirty. When you begin to walk with people who are struggling with sin, this is a difficult process. It's going, to, it's going to take time, energy, and effort from you. It's going to be spiritually, physically, and emotionally draining. When you walk with people who are struggling in sin, it's not going to be this cheery situation. It's not going to be, hey, let's have lunch. I'm going to solve all of your problems. When we begin to restore those who have fallen, we must first recognize that they're trapped Part of restoration is realizing that, that you're trapped in sin and you, you need to be released. But my friend, at the good news of Jesus, you can be released of your sin. Can I get a witness? Amen. Has Jesus set you free, trapped and, and chained? But Jesus is the chain breaker. He's the restorer. And what I, find, what I find invigorating about being able to walk, when people allow me into their life and, and we begin to walk with them and restore them, what I find to be amazing is it's not me who can do it. I can't, I can't restore you. I walk with you as God restores you. And I know that that's going to be a painful process for the both of us. It's like a boxing match. It doesn't matter who wins. Both parties are beat up. It's 
painful, but it's so worthy when you see a brother or sister restored. So we, we want to aid them in their, their entrapment of sin, and we, we want them to realize that, that they're getting help from spiritual people. Listen, there's so much self-help. There's so much counsel, and counsel is a good thing, but there is ungodly counsel out there. There's ungodly resources out there. We need, as spiritual people, to be looking for opportunities to invest our lives. The greatest danger I have is what if I don't give my life away? Jesus died giving his life away for the people whom he loved. I'm going to do the same thing. It's not about taking in this world, it's about giving your life away. It requires spiritual people. What's wrong with our world is the spiritual people aren't doing anything. We've got obese Christians not serving, not, not living their lives out. We, we've bought this lie that I'm just going to do my thing and let everybody else do their thing. What if Jesus lived like that? What if the disciples in the other church had said, you know what, we know paganism is all the way around us. We know they, they, we, we know they wish we were dead, and, but you know what, we're just going to get together in our building with air conditioning and cushion seats and just be comfortable together. If that was the early church's mentality, much like it's our mentality, the church would have died in the first century. But they cared about people. They realized that helping people was kingdom business. That it, it was exactly what God had, had delivered them to and, and called them to was walking with people. Walking with people who had real issues. When we're going to walk with people, we must restore them gently. We must restore them gently. If we're going to restore those who have fallen, it, it happens gently. You don't walk in and kick the door down. People don't respond well when you go on the offense. We, we walk and we do just like Jesus. When did, I mean, a few times in the scriptures we see Jesus get angry, but when he was dealing with sinners that he was, he was ministering to, he was, he was so gentle. I think back to the woman at the well. Jesus embraced this lady, and, and she had been married several, several, several times, and the man she was living with wasn't even her own husband. And, and Jesus could have walked up to her and called her a harlot, called her all of these things, and they would have been true. He embraced her with love and told her, I, I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm bringing forgiveness today. When we restore people, we don't, we don't put ourselves up on a pedestal. We, we operate in humility. We operate in humility. We, we, we come in gentle and we operate in humility because that could have very easily been us. Could have very easily been us. I have a sin nature just like you do. I have problems in my life just like you do. And the problem with sin, sin's a, a slippery slope. Got pastors, friends of mine who have had to leave ministry because of, of failures. And every one of them I've talked to and, and begin to try to restore and walk with them through these things, it never started with an affair. It never started there. They didn't wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm going to cheat on my wife and lose my ministry, my job, my family all today. It didn't start there. It started with a lustful look that they didn't consecrate. It started with a thought that they didn't capture. And before they knew it, the sin had built and built, and now they were in a mess. People of God, we restore gently, and we approach it carefully. Scripture tells us, he says, watch so that you don't too fall into sin. Watch so you too 
don't fall into sin. And I've heard this, and it's a fallacy. I hear people say, well, you know, Paul said to be all things. I had to come all people. So, so I'm going to the bar, and I'm going to start drinking with them. That way I can win them for the Lord. Scripture has never given you freedom to sin to reach anybody for Christ. Never. Never. We uphold godliness at every corner. We walk in righteousness in every step. We, we carefully, carefully walk so we don't fall into the ways of sin. So we're going to restore them. We're, we're going to bear their burdens. We're going to help the hurting. We're going to help the hurting. People in our culture have real hurts. They have real issues keeping them up at night. People in our church have real issues. They have real life. This world will beat you down. This world will compress you. It's difficult. They have real hurts, and they're physical hurts. We have people who they have physical hurts. They have pain, exterior pain. They have interior. They have financial pains. They have family pains. We know that people are in this room, and your marriage is rocky. We know people that are in this room, and your kids are acting crazy. We know that goes on. That's why we're here to help. We're not here to cast stones at you, because that could be my kid. That could be my marriage. I want to restore you in the ways of the Lord. They have physical hurts, but they also they have spiritual hurts. It's not just physical, it's also spiritual. Some of you today are, are struggling with your view of God because you've never intently met him. You, you've walked through and you've done the religious thing, but you've never been introduced to Jesus in your life. You're struggling. Why am I not fulfilled? Because you're not a believer. Why am I struggling? I come to church. I go to Sunday school because you've never given your heart and life to Jesus because Jesus will set the captives free. If Physical and spiritual, but people have emotional hurts. As the church, we, we must rally around people who have emotional hurts. We have people who have lost loved ones. They've lost family. They, they, they have emotional hurts. They've got scars from their childhood. They've got things holding them back. And, and it's only when the church of God rallies. It's only when the church of God says, you know what? We're no better than you. We're, we're, we're not holier. We're not more perfect we're about the kingdom of God, and we want to be about the business of restoration. We want to help the hurting, not hold you down. We want to help the hurting, not hurt you more. We want to help. We want to see you restored. I didn't come up with this all by my own. Jesus said in Matthew 22, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And this is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. And the second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And he says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. We must love God. And if we're going to be in the restoration business, we must love people. We must love God and we must love people. But that means people that may not look like you. That may mean people with different pigment in their skin. That may be people of different socioeconomic standards. That may be people you don't agree with. That may be Alabama fans. That may be Auburn fans. I told you last week, Auburn, I told you, if you put your hope in, in 18 to 24-year-old boys, you're eventually going to be let down. I wasn't a prophet just happened that way. And guess what? If you put your faith back in them boys next year, guess what they're going to do? They're going to let you down. 
That's why we hold tight to Jesus. He alone is sufficient, and he's, he will never let you down. He'll never leave you or forsake you. If we're going to be in the restoration business, and if we're going to carry each other's burdens, my friend, we must love God and love people. The greatest mark of failure in my ministry happened several years ago. One of the most painful experiences that I've ever been through, Dr. Pate, uh, we were serving at a church in Meridian, and we were doing some cool ministry. We had started ministering to people who didn't look like us, who didn't have the money that our church had. We were, we were a very affluent church. A lot, of, a lot of people in the church had money. I, I was the poorest one there. And um, we, we began to do some ministry and began to reach in some people uh, from the proverbial across-the-railroad-track type folks. And we began to minister to them in a great way. We saw our children's ministry begin to develop and grow up very fast. We saw families coming in who we had never reached before. We were, I mean, as the staff of this church, we were like, what's up? Like staff meeting, we were all high-fiving each other. What we quickly learned, though, was that it was not the heart of our church. It was the heart of our staff to reach those who were not like us and to walk with those people who had hurt and, and a lot of their problems. There was one suite began to reach out, and she, we had an upward, upward at our church, and we were playing soccer. And she called me, and she said, Pastor, to play soccer with you guys. And she said, I'm a single mom, work three jobs. She said, I don't think I can, was, I think a $50 fee per kid. And, and I said, oh, you, you don't matter, but you listen, so you kids, and, and if you can't get, and we want them to hear Jesus and learn to play a little soccer. <laughs> and so from a rough background, and she was before and had been beat down, she had been, she'd been, and so we just didn't know that she'd ever visit our church, and, and she, she started visiting. And uh, that first Sunday, I walked in the sanctuary. She was in there. My heart, woo! My goodness! So I made a big deal over the fact that she was there, and, and they came the next Sunday, and then the next Sunday, and I was like, here we go! Like, I'm talking to her about what it means to be a member of our church and partnering with our church. Our pastor had done visit her. We were all so excited. What would have been her fourth Sunday there, I'm walking in from our education building, and she's got her two kids dragging them like a parachute out of the building. And I stopped her, and you can tell she has been crying. Her makeup looked like war paint at this point. And I said, what's, what's wrong? What, what's everything okay? She said, no. She said, we're leaving this church, and we'll never be back here again. I had spent hours and days with this family, growing them, loving on them, ministering to them. It's hard work getting visitors in a church building. I said, what what's, what's, what's going on? She told me. I had a, a deacon. I use that term loosely. I had a deacon come up to this family and said, because of the way she was dressed, she would be more comfortable in a church down the street. I went straight in the flesh. I went straight in the flesh. I wanted to drag this deacon out and lay holy hands on him. That started something in us that, that, that we had to deal with, we had to wrestle with. Not every church member is going to love people like Jesus. We had to deal with that. That, that, that was a hurtful thing and that led to some more hurtful things that would eventually... I went and told my wife one day, she was teaching third grade in a school, 
And I showed up during her break, and I said, we're done. I said, I'm out of here. When I left that church, I didn't think I'd ever serve another day in, on church staff because I was hurt by church people. I was hurt by people who our church had voted in leadership. But what God began to do, and listen, this is what I love about our Lord and Savior. I was furious at the church. I was furious at the establishment. I was even mad at God that he even let this happen. And the whole time I'm angry with the Lord, guess what he's doing? He's teaching me. He's loving me. He's showing me how wonderful the call of pastor it is. He's showing me how great the mercy of Jesus is. He's showing me how wonderful grace is. And, and, and yeah, this brother acted outside the faith, but he's still worthy of grace. He's still worthy of mercy. It took a long time for me to get to that one. What I understood that day was that not every church member has the universal church's interest at heart. At Palmerdale Cross, we exist to reach one more family for the glory of Jesus. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how much money they have in the bank. Jesus never asked to see bank returns before he told somebody, your sins are forgiven. We will not either. We're going to love God and we're going to love the people God puts in our buildings. We're going to love the people that he puts in our communities. We're going to love the people we sit next to in restaurants. You see, when we begin to love people, we'll walk with them through their mess. We'll walk with them through restoration. It won't be a tedious job. It'll be something we, we look forward to, and we, we're glad God allows us to be a part of it. I'm going to give you three warning signs about loving people who are in desperate need of restoration. The first one is hurting people will hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. I've, I've met people and they just exploded on me and I can take it. I've got pretty thick skin. And, and, and I have to tell myself when I'm walking with these people, they're, they're not angry at me. They're hurt. They've been hurt along the way and, and I'm catching the brunt of it. I, I did nothing to infuse this situation, but now I have to defuse it because I'm a child of God. It has nothing to do with, with me being a pastor. It has everything to do with me being blood-bought. Hurting people hurt the people closest to them. Hurting people hurt the people closest to them. If you've ever walked with someone who's, who's had something, they're, they're going to lash out because they're, they're, they're hurt. And we don't like to admit that we're feeble. We don't like to admit that we're weak. We don't like to admit that we need restoration. We don't like to admit that we're struggling with sin. In fact, often when, when people come to me and they go, Jeff, I'm, I'm seeing this in your life, and I've got some men I esteem greatly, and when they say this to me, I love these brothers, and I'm always like, I'll knock your teeth out. Say that again. The first time somebody comes up and they say, hey, we're seeing something in your, you're immediately going to go on the defense. So I have to guard myself, and I'm like, God, show me if this is true. Is this something in me that I'm, I'm missing? Am I not examining my life? Well, show me this. Number three, hurting people will hurt those they know won't hurt back. We've got some sweet, precious people in this church. Some folks I would empty my heart to, and I know it's going to stay between us. And A lot of times when you begin to walk with people, you've got to realize you, you can't hurt them back. This isn't a battle. This is restoration. We approach every restoration account humbly. Listen, if you're prideful, if you're going to step in and help somebody, you're going to step in and serve with somebody, you must understand that if you are prideful, you won't be useful. 
If you're prideful, you're not going to be useful. God can't, if you walk around, look at me, look how awesome I am, then you're not pointing people to Jesus. You're pointing people to you, and that's your glory. We must be cautious. We must be cautious as we, we approach people because the Scripture gives us a warning. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're something. I would rather approach myself as absolutely nothing and make Jesus something than have it the other way around. Test the burden. Test the burden. We're all going to walk through trials. We're all going to walk through things that are difficult. Test the burden. Test it. Can I handle this by myself? Don't be a burden to people. Don't be a burden to people. Test it to see if you can carry it all by yourself. I, I love that the Apostle Paul, he, he, tells the, he says in verse 4, but, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Test. Carry your own load. Carry your own load. Families, carry your own load. Provide for your family. Men, men right here, provide for your family. The Bible has a pretty good welfare plan. A man that doesn't work, Scripture says, shouldn't eat. A hungry stomach will motivate people to go to work. All right? Just test these things. Test them to see, to see if you can carry your load because, because Scripture wants you to. Don't depend on people to always bail you out. Now listen, the church is here, and, and part of our ministry is, is we want to minister to the needy. But our ministry is not to the lazy. We minister to the needy. We wanna, if, if you have a need, we want to walk with you. But if you're sitting at home playing PlayStation, my friend, get a job. Idle hands will, will lead to sinfulness. A lazy heart will lead to sinfulness. Guard yourself. Don't become dependent on other people. You never know when God's not going to put people there to bless you. I love seeing the church rallying. I love seeing the church rallying. In fact, uh, Donna told me last night on the phone, she probably didn't want me telling you this, I'm going to tell you anyway, because she didn't have a microphone strapped to her head. Uh, last night, or this past week, they got to experience the fullness of God's church. People praying for them as they're walking through things. People stopping by and visiting them as they're struggling with things. Loving on them. That's the picture of the church. That's the picture of the church. Walking with people through difficult days. Walking with people as, as they're struggling in the life. That, that you're not here alone. You're not here alone. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not alone. We're here for you. We're here to build you up in the things of the Lord. Point two. That was point one. Point two won't be near as long as point one, I promise. We share. Point two, we, we, by grace, we walk in the Spirit. If we're going to restore people, we must walk in the Spirit of the Lord. Part of walking in the Spirit is sharing the gospel. We must share the gospel generously. I want to share the gospel generously. The Apostle Paul says, says to the receivers of the word. He tells, he says, to the receivers of the word. To the receivers, to the one who has taught the word. Share all the good things with the teachers. So teachers, preach the gospel. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a small group leader, if you work in the nursery or, or children's church, if you have something where people gather, teach the gospel. 
Teach the gospel. If that's all you know, teach the gospel. If you're a receiver of that, someone is over you. Someone you've, you've sat under somebody's leadership, whether they're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or, or, or a kid's teacher or a small group leader. Share what you have been taught. Share what you have been taught. It's time the church gets beyond the spectator sport and becomes participants in the ministry of reconciliation. We need you. We need you to reciprocate what you've been taught. We need you to share what you've learned. Receivers, share it. If you've got it, give it away. If you've got it, give it away. Walk in holiness. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Galatians, he says, you're going to reap what you have sown. So when we sow to the flesh, when we make this life about us, what we're going to reap is the evil and fleshly reward of our service. We make this about us, we're going to get it about us. But when we make it about the kingdom of God, when we sow in the Spirit, then God works in it. Then God works in it. And what we reap is the fullness of his glory. What we reap is all about his name and it's about his fame. What we reap is, is about the goodness of Jesus. I used to tell our teenagers this, and this is wise still. One of the wisest things they ever came up with in 10 years of student ministry. What you put in your body, you will regurgitate. And we used to, I used to take rap music. I'm not a rap fan at all. At all. Like... I think it's grotesque at best, and I think it does a lot of things that, that it shouldn't. Um, when you listen to awful, and this is well beyond music, but you can hear this in this. If all you hear in music is women are sex objects, if all you hear is that a life isn't nothing but a, a pull of a trigger, if, if that's all you hear is is Drugs are going to set your world onto a good place and, and that all you need to be worried about is that bank account. Then eventually you're like, Jeff, that's just, that's just music. Eventually that will be your lifestyle. TVs, you watch TV shows you watch. What they do is numb you to sinful reality. You remember, some, some of you do, us young bucks, we don't. But some of you in the room remember when, when TV was quality family time. You used to sit around and you, you watched wholesome shows. Well, Andy Griffith and Gomer Powell, right? He just went on. You used to watch those shows for your family and they promoted good family characteristics and they promoted even godliness. When was the last time you turned on the TV show and saw something like that? In fact... So much so that the, the only TV show we let our kid watch is Mickey Mouse and Curious George. Um, that's it. Like if we're watching, like we don't watch TV when he's in the room. Um, just because you never know what's coming up. Even on a show that you deem, hey, this is acceptable. This is going to be okay. You don't know what that commercial is going to be about. Right? I don't, I, one day I don't want to have to look at my child and explain some of the things that they try to sell on commercials. I want to explain what that pill's for. I want to sow into him godliness. I want to sow into him righteousness. Why? Because I want God to reap righteousness in his life. I want God to reach 
to reap holiness in his life. So, so I'm cautious of what we sow into him. He finishes this section. He tells them, he says, constantly do good. Constantly do good. Now, don't get good people and godly people confused because there's a grave difference. Godly people will inherit the kingdom of God. There will be tons of good people and an eternal hell. But as believers, we should always be about good things. We need to look for ways to bless others. We do, we do good things. We, we look for opportunities to bless somebody. When was the last time you blessed somebody? And I'm not talking about like bless somebody so they'd pat you on the back, but I'm talking about genuinely bless somebody. Like, I didn't even know you did it. Like you just did something for somebody and, and woo. Katie and I had been on a, on a mission trip um, out in Colorado. It was one of those deals where we were going 10 or 11 days in the middle of the summer. And we lived in southeast Louisiana where it was a million and a half degrees. And the humidity was a million point five. And I got a whole way home. Whole way home. This is my conversation to my wife. That grass is going to be knee deep. I've been on a mission trip. I've cut everybody's grass in northeast Colorado. And now I'm here. I'm going to get home. And step one is going to be to fend off the bears who are now calling my front yard home because it's a jungle. I get home. My grass is cut. The driveway is etched. Holy Spirit's calling. This time somebody gets saved. The grass was cut. It was all blown off. I still to this day don't know who did it. Somebody blessed me. I was fretting of that. I was exhausted from my week. Somebody looked for a way they blessed me. You need to look for ways to bless the lost. Look for ways to bless the lost. Look for, buy their dinner. Next time you're at Chick-fil-A, buy their, buy their lunch. Yeah, it's six bucks, but when they hear that, that somebody from a church bought their lunch, that's going to go a long way. You know neighbors who don't go to church. Knock on their door. Bless them. Invite them to church. In fact, on, on a table outside, where there's invitation cards to our Christmas celebration in a couple weeks. You don't have to have a ticket to get into that. It's friendly reminders. Take one. Drop it off. Bless their day. Because you never know when a, a blessing that, that you're pouring out is going to turn into their salvation. Because God moves in even the small things. God moves in even the small things. The Apostle Paul finishes and he tells the church, he says, So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. Look for ways to build up the saints. Look for ways to build up those blood-bought believers who you worship with. Find ways, find the things they like. And this, this puts us uncomfortable because what it may mean is you may have to know someone beyond, Good morning, how are you? You may have to intentionally look for people to live life with. I love what Marie said as we started. One of the best ways to get to know people is serve the Lord your God with them. Do ministry with people. That's how you get to know people. Start serving. Look for opportunities. Get plugged in. Find out how, how your people have. Find out how the people you, you circulate with. Find out things that you can do to bless them. Find out the people you're going to Sunday school with right now. Find out how you can bless them. Find out how you can serve them. One thing. It doesn't have to be small. You don't even have to buy anything. Maybe it's a phone call. Hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Hey, I just want you to know I, I know you've got something coming up. And, and our family has prayed for you this week. Write them a letter. It costs 44 cents to mail a letter. Write them a letter. I love getting handwritten letters. People saying, Jeff, we're praying for you. 
We're praying for your family. We're praying for you guys. As you lead out, God, we're, we're just praying God uses you. Find ways to bless people. Because here's reality, church. When, when the church starts looking like the church, people will take notice. When the church starts looking like Jesus, it's going to get addictive. When I meet godly people, I want to be like them. When I meet people who are just crushing it for Jesus, I, I want to know, what are you doing and how can I walk with you? I, I want to know. I wanna, and so find ways to bless people and point them to Jesus. Find opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with your neighbors and with your family. Find opportunities to bless people all the while telling them about the goodness of Jesus. And it's easy right now. We're in the holiday season. Maybe your neighbor needs to hear the reason for this season isn't a big man in a red suit, but it was about a little man from Galilee who died on a cross for the forgiveness of their sins. Maybe as we lead out, our culture would take notice. But it's going to start at your salvation. It's going to start at your redemption. You can't give out, you can't serve out if you're doing it in the flesh. It's only when God works in you. Today, he's calling you to salvation. Maybe you're in here and you've been playing the church thing for a while. And you're here, you're dressed the part, you can even talk in the Babdanese language. Maybe today you need to let all that down and fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with the one who can restore you. Maybe today you're the fallen one we've been talking about. Your life's falling apart and you, you don't know why. And you need godly people to walk with you. Listen, we're not a museum of the holiest of holies. The church is a hospital for the broken. Maybe today you're broken. You need people to pray over you. You need people who would commit to walking with you. You're here today saying, Jeff, I don't have it figured out. That's okay. I don't either. But I'm trusting in the one who does. I'm trusting in the one who does. His name is Jesus. Jesus went to a, a sinner's cross for your redemption, for your restoration, so that you could be healed. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the best looking. Christ came for the outcast. Christ came for those who everyone else looked past. Christ came for you and for me. Are you walking with Jesus today? I'm not asking you, are you religious? I'm not asking, are you a Baptist? I'm asking, is your heart sold out to Jesus? Is there evidence of a Christ crucified in your heart? Because I'm just being real, because eternity matters too much. Eternity matters too much. If there's no evidence of Christ in your life, he's not there. I'm just, I'm just being that real with you. If there's never been repentance, if there's never been obedience, if you've never displayed love, then you've never declared him as savior of your life. And I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to get a big altar call. I'm asking you to do business with God today. I'm asking you to search your soul. See that he is Lord of your life. See that you've declared him with your heart and with everything in your being that he's your Lord and your Savior. Because if you've never asked him, he's never done it. Don't go home today lost and confused. The church is here. 
and we're pulling for you. All in the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray over these people. God, I, I pray in the power of Jesus and, and the holiness that he is. God, I pray that as we, we come to the place of reflection where we're, we're, we're taking inventory of our life, Father, that, that you will move in a mighty way. And God, I, I pray if there's some here today who've never trusted in you, that today will be their day of salvation. Father, I pray for those who, who today are saying, I'm fallen. I'm, I'm not living the life God's calling me to be. I'm, I'm not doing all that God's placed in me. I'm not living to my fullest potential. I've been, I've been trapped by sin. I've got hurt that I've, I've not asked forgiveness this of I've got I'm struggling God I pray that you give them the the power and the ability to come down to an altar and do work with you God for for those who today are saying God I, I need you to build me up so I can be the spiritual leaders of our church and we can begin to walk with people who are broken and who are hurting God I pray that your spirit and the the manifestation of your presence would fall so heavy on this place that that we would see an outpouring of your grace God, we are begging you to move. We're begging for your Holy Spirit to show up and to show out in ways we couldn't even fathom. God, we're, we're asking for those lost to be found, for those who are blind to have sight. God, we're asking you to do what only you can do in restoring your church. It's in the powerful, holy name of Jesus that we trust and ask. And, and all God's people said, amen. If God's placed it on your heart to do something for his kingdom, you come on.